Well, before we open God's word up, would you pray with me one more time this morning? Father God, we come before you in the name that is above all names, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, as we begin to open your word, we do so knowing that you promise, Holy God, to speak to us in and through it. And so we ask that you would open our eyes and open our ears, open our ears to hear the wonderful truths, open our eyes to behold such glory. Grab hold of our hearts, dear God, and tune them in to your voice. May all that we are be inclined heavenward. Increase our fear of you, this service. For we know to fear you is the pathway to true worship and joy and happiness. And Father, as we hear you speak to us this morning, Satisfy us, Lord, with your steadfast love. Lead us into truth in a world full of lies. And help us, Lord, leave this morning more resolved to be holy people, prayerful people, biblical people. May we resemble Christ more. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do now what only you can, that is to take the living word of God and plant it deep within our hearts in a way that produces Christ-like conformity. A work that no man can do, but only you can. So that is our hope and our expectation this morning. Guide me now, Father, by your spirit, as we seek to make much of your son. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are continuing with our series on the book of Colossians, and uh, you can say we're in the final stretch now. We're in chapter four, um, so we're wrapping up soon, I'll put it that way. Um, but this, this morning, we're only going to actually look at one verse. Um, so I might be drawing it out a little bit here. But we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter four, verse two this morning. And as you're turning there, I want us to think about something that I came across this week. I read an article, and the article was seeking to answer the question, what's the most revealing meeting at a church? What is the most revealing meeting a church holds? Is it the Sunday morning gathering? Is it that meeting? Is that the most revealing is it the elder meeting? Is it the congregational meeting? Is it leadership meetings? What meeting is the most important meeting in the life of the church? And the article lists a variety of different meetings and why they could be the most revealing. But it closes, the article closes by saying that it's actually the prayer meeting that is the most revealing meeting a church has. Again, that's important. Not the most important, but the most revealing though case could be made that the prayer meeting might be the most important. Because it's at the prayer meeting where you really actually can gauge the temperature of the church, gauge the temperature of the people. Because at the prayer meeting, everything from attendance to prayer requests, from crises to things that should be celebrated are shared. It really reveals the church. You also get to see who's there. Who is actually coming to prayer meeting? It's a very, the, the prayer meeting is very important because it gives you an insight into the heart of that church. Sadly, across the country, the most revealing church reveals a very sad state of affairs. And that is that most people don't value prayer 
because prayer meetings are often the least attended meeting the church holds. Bible studies are packed because everybody wants more knowledge. Social events are packed. Outreaches are packed. Evangelistic events are packed. But the prayer meeting is usually pretty empty. Most churches across the country don't even hold a weekly prayer meeting. They hold a monthly prayer meeting. And some of those churches hold monthly prayer meetings, say, you know what? We'll just have the leadership pray. You just attend and, and, and echo our prayers. They don't even offer the opportunity for the congregation to pray together. And then anywhere from 2 to 5% of the congregation is what comes out, if that, in most prayer meetings. There's a lot of reasons for that, but it's not important to get into those reasons right now. Um, but perhaps you have made statements like this. Well, I know prayer is important, but you know I pray all the time anyway already. I pray throughout the day. I pray without ceasing, so it's okay if I don't make it. My schedule is so busy, you don't understand. You know, I've had a really long, I get home from work, I'm tired, I got to get dinner on the table. I just can't make it. We have the kids, we have to take care of the kids and I can't let them stay out that late and they'll get squirrely and I just can't. But I'm praying at home, I'm praying, I'm praying. The excuses are endless. And I'm just going to call it for what it is, excuses. I'm not saying that there's never reasons to miss prayer meeting. There are legitimate reasons and circumstances, but it shouldn't be characteristic of God's people to not gather as a family in Christ and lift up our voices in supplication before God. And yet that is exactly what happens in the vast majority of churches across the country. It's interesting though, churches in China have the prayer meeting packed. They get up at five in the morning to lift up their voices and you can go on YouTube and see it and you just hear them just pleading with tears, praying. Is it really a surprise that the church has no power when it has no prayer? You know, people today in the church, we are so devoted to so many things except this thing right here, praying. And yet we see in our text this morning, Colossians chapter four, verse two, this is exactly what Paul calls for. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And what's important for us to realize is there is a personal ownership of that. But this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae would have been read to the entire congregation. So when Paul is saying, devote yourselves to prayer, he's saying, devote yourselves to prayer as a church, not simply as an individual. God has commanded his church to be a praying church. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Well, let's do verses 1 through 8, actually. First of all, then, I exhort that petitions and prayers, requests and thanksgiving be made for all men, for kings and for all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the full knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the witness for this proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. As a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore, I want men in every place to Pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. What's interesting is he starts that section, ends that section with prayer, and what's sandwiched in between is the gospel. And so there is a gospel connection to prayer that we're going to see later this morning. But what I want us to really understand is that Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, is simply telling us, that as a follower of Christ, you must be devoted to prayer. Full stop right there. It's not negotiable. It's not an encouragement. It's not a suggestion. As a follower of Christ, you must be devoted to prayer. 
So let's walk through this verse this morning. And our first point is devotion. You must be devoted to prayer. He says right here, devote yourselves to prayer. So what is prayer? I know that it's common to say that prayer is simply talking to God. And that's very true. However, it's a little bit misleading. Because we are talking to the one true and holy God. So you just don't talk to God however you think you can. Right? There's this common notion that I can just talk to God however I want. I remember being at Bible college, having prayed, they have these prayer revivals at night. And Bible majors, men and women, would sit there, lift up their hands and say, Daddy God. Start, Daddy God. What are you talking about? We don't see that anywhere in scripture. That's not what Abba means. Abba would be most closely kind of the way we knew that reverential, deep affection of Father. Which is what Jesus tells us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven. And so I think a good definition of prayer can be found in the 1693 Baptist Catechism, which defines prayer as the following, quote, Prayer is an offering of our desires to God by the assistance of the Holy Spirit for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ, believing with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies, unquote. You see, there's a certain posture of the heart and there's certain things that need to be true of prayer. We're going to look at a couple of verses to unpack that definition there. But I think one of the most important things to realize is that by the assistance of the Holy Spirit, agreeable to his will. So often prayer is really more, hey, genie in a bottle, I've rubbed the lamp three times. Can I get what I want? That's not prayer. Prayer must be agreeable to the will of God. So listen to 1 John chapter 5. Verse 14, 1 John 5, 14. And this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. It must be according to his will. Our prayers must also be marked by true confession of sin. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our prayer should also genuinely be bringing our desires before the Lord. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Don't just pray what you think you're supposed to pray. Pray honestly what your requests are and allow God in and through your prayer to reshape your desires. Another v- verse that shows us the importance of bringing our desires before God is Psalm 145. In Psalm 145, verse 19, it reads, He will work out the desire of those who fear him. He will hear their cry for help and he will save them. Again, do you notice though, fearing God there is central. Brothers and sisters, when we really fear the Lord and understand his will, then guess what? Our desires will be pleasing in his sight. But if we don't fear God, if you don't know his will because you haven't been in his word, then you're heaping up prayers to God that are not pleasing in his sight. And he will answer but it's often going to be in a corrective manner. And we're supposed to pray in the name of Christ, which isn't just some formality, but to pray in Christ's name means my prayer will be in accordance with his will and word. We're coming in his name. We're praying in his name. Listen to John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. 
Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do so that the father will be glorified in the son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus says, if you ask me anything in my name, why do I need to ask Jesus for something in his name? Because what he's really saying there is if you come with me, if your requests that you bring before me are in alignment with who I am, what I've said and what I'm doing, then I will honor those prayers because they are pleasing in the sight of my father and they glorify the son. And so, yes, prayer is talking to God, but prayer is talking to God in a specific way. In a way that is marked by reverence, by humility, by confession of sin, by belief. But right, we pray in faith. We pray in the spirit. That's another thing to really consider. If we're going to be devoted to prayer, then we need to make sure we are asking God to continuously fill us by his spirit. For the spirit of God to guide our prayers. That's a question worth pondering even as we begin. Are, are our prayers governed by the spirit of God or governed by the circumstances of men? This happened, I have to pray. And you lift throw the circumstance out there, but that as you threw that circumstance out there in prayer, was it filtered in and through the power and working of the Holy Spirit? This is happening, God. I don't know what to do. Well, have we searched his word first so that our prayer is being shaped and conformed by the word of God? Or do we simply just throw a circumstance out there? If we're just throwing circumstances out there and we simply want relief of the circumstance, we don't need to say, oh, Father God. We should just say, oh, celestial therapist. Because that's mostly what we're doing then. Don't pray, just lay on the couch, put your hands behind your head and talk. I mean, that's the equivalent because your prayer is not being filtered and shaped by the word of God. So we must be devoted to prayer, but devoted to prayer in a certain fashion. And also being devoted to prayer, Paul picks up on this later. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. What does it mean to pray without ceasing, right? Because that's, Essentially, he's saying about being devoted to prayer here. Have you ever wondered, how can I be praying all the time? I got things to do. Food's cooking. Legos are across at our home, right? The food's cooking. The Legos are on the floor, right? The dog's crazy. Like, How can I be praying in the midst of those circumstances? I have it far easier than my wife in that regard. She's balancing six million things. So praying without ceasing for her, I think I would have a a mental breakdown, right? How do we do that? How do we pray without ceasing? She doesn't have the luxury I do. Well, I think the Quaker, Thomas Kelly, captures what it means to pray without ceasing really well. Listen to this, look, listen to Thomas Kelly, quote, there is a way of ordering our mental life on more than one level at once. On one level, we can be thinking, discussing, seeing, calculating, meeting all the demands of external affairs. But deep within, behind the scenes, at a profounder level, we may also be in prayer and adoration, song and worship, and a gentle receptiveness to divine breathings. Right? There's this undercurrent through it all that's being filtered in. An overall receptiveness and awareness. Prayers don't have to be long form. Prayers don't have to be alone in a prayer closet always. But there's this, if prayer is talking to God, then there's a constant posture of communion with God in and through the affairs that are being carried out. So that's prayer. He says to be devoted. That word devoted is a powerful word. It's not talking so much about intensity as much as constancy. To be devoted means to, to persist in, to keep on, to persevere, to, be, to have diligence, to be courageously persistent. It takes effort. It takes work. 
And if Paul is saying to be devoted in prayer, that means to be devoted in prayer is not a casual thing, but a constant thing. I, I love structure. I love systems. So the idea of morning, afternoon, and evening prayer is really good for me. That's check those boxes. But just because you have that, maybe you have an app that reminds you to pray three times a day. Do you realize the app reminding you to pray three times a day and you doing it doesn't necessarily mean you're devoted to prayer. It could mean you're devoted to a system. Being devoted to prayer means there is a diligence of heart to be seeking true communion and fellowship with God. And it shouldn't come as a surprise that Paul is calling the church in Colossae to be devoted to prayer. Because for the true disciple of Christ, prayer is a way of life in the same way that breathing is. It's a non-negotiable. A prayerless Christian is most likely not a Christian. Listen to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. These all, with one accord, were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Continuously devoting themselves to prayer. How often have you heard somebody say, man, I wish we could just get back to the early church. I wish we could be an Acts church. Awesome. I agree. What's an Acts church? Acts 2.42. And they were continuously devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. You can't have an early church without having a praying church. That might be step one. If you want to get back to, I want to have an early church. I want to have an Acts-type church. Awesome. Start with your prayer. Start with being a praying church. You know, one of the things that I think is hindered us so much from being a church of prayer, and I'm talking us corporately, America, the Western church, or being a church of prayer, is that we have so many resources available to us that we've become arrogant, not recognizing we need God. If you own a study Bible, you know, I have, I have an ESV study Bible upstairs. I have more doctrine, theology, and explanation in that Bible than the church did the first 350 years. So I can read my study notes. I can think I understand the text. I know what to do. I can go to the back. It gives me six ways to talk to Muslims and and, and Jehovah's Witness. Awesome. I can become so confident in that. Guess what? I don't feel like I need to pray. The early church didn't have that. What did they have? They had the Holy Spirit. They had the, the, the scriptures that were coming into shape at that point. They had the Old Testament and the New was being written. And they had prayer. They had prayer. So we might have more knowledge, but I think they had more power. Paul says, be devoted to prayer. Now, even though we recognize prayer must be something, must be a lifeline, must be part of our day-to-day life. It doesn't mean that's easy. If it was easy, Paul wouldn't need to remind them, right? Seldom do we need to be reminded and encouraged to persist in things that come naturally to us. So the fact that Paul is saying, be devoted to prayer, he's recognizing there's a difficulty there. Our flesh does not want us to pray. Satan does not want us to pray, which means that we actually are waging warfare when we pray. We're waging warfare. It's as if, it's as if prayer is this walkie-talkie, right, that's reaching out into into heavens where God is, and we're asking God to to act on our behalf in his omnipotence. When we pray, we're waging war against the flesh. We're waging war against sin. We're waging war against corrupt desires. We're waging war against false ideologies and philosophies. We're waging war against the way of the world. And so prayer is one, if you want to see victory over sin, yes, be in the word, study it digitally, store it up in your heart. But if you want to see victory over sin and Satan, if you want to see strongholds torn down, then we must be praying. 
The Puritan John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, once wrote, quote, prayer will make a man cease from sin or sin will entice a man to cease from prayer, end quote. If you're constantly in communion with God, it, gets, it becomes pretty hard to live in darkness. So being devoted to prayer means that we not only pray in seasons of crisis, but we pray in seasons of comfort. We pray in the morning and we pray in the, we are a praying people always. So that was the first point there to be devoted in prayer. But secondly, he says, be devoted to prayer, being watchful in it. So there's another type of, as we pray, it's not just throwing up whatever. There's a watchfulness, he says here. What does that word mean, to be watchful? It means to be vigilant. It means to be alert, sober-minded, singularly focused. The most literal translation means to stay awake. It carries the idea of being in a state of constant readiness, spiritual alertness. has a militaristic kind of vibe to it, doesn't it? When he says here, being devoted to prayer, being watchful, he's saying what he's meaning is you need to be alert to the specific needs of the hour, the needs of the day, what is happening. Remember the Colossian church is being assailed by false teachers, false doctrines, You need to be praying. You need to be lifting that up to the Lord. You need to be asking God in prayer to give you eyes to see the error of the ways of these teachers. Paul is essentially saying, be devoted to prayer, be watchful. Have a vigilant eye on your life because Christ is returning. Do you realize he's, he's coming back? He's going to crack the sky and take us up with him. And so we should be watchful. As we pray, there should be a watchfulness over our lives. So that means as we pray, we need to be praying for courage. Listen to what Paul says to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19. As well as on my behalf, that the words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make, be, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. He's asking the Colossians to pray for him to have boldness, for him to have courage, so that he can be proclaiming Christ. If Paul required boldness, how much more us? That's a watchfulness. Paul's keeping an eye on his life and he's, I need to be watchful in prayer. I need to recognize I need boldness to do this. And so he prays. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus says in verse 13, in the teaching us how to pray, the Lord's prayer, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's a watchfulness, an alertness in your prayer. Jesus is telling his disciples, as you pray, be spiritually alert and guarded against temptation. We must be watchful against temptation. Again, in, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, this time in chapter 26. Verse 41. We hear this on the lips of Jesus. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So being devoted to prayer and being watchful in it Right, We see carries this idea of being alert to the circumstances and the temptations that surround.
very little says about praying about our circumstances. I remember when I was in doing youth ministry, we'd ask for prayer requests. Anybody got prayer requests? Pray I don't go over four tomorrow at tomorrow's baseball game. I'm sure that God Almighty and the Holy Spirit seeking to sanctify you and conform you to the image of Christ is really concerned if your batting average drops six points. We have such a low understanding, small understanding truly about what is happening in the world. And so our prayers are so childish. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter four, verse nine. Only keep yourself and your soul very carefully, right? A watchfulness there. Lest you forget the things which your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Being watchful in prayer is another way of making sure that we do not, be, that we do not fall into neglecting the word of God and the works of God in our lives. You could think of prayer as almost, hey, you know, I'm going to, I, I need to, I need to process my day with the Lord. I need to, I need to start my day. God, give me direction. Make known to me the path on which I'm supposed to walk today. But then also prayers at the end of the day are good because you've taken in a lot of stimulus and things you've seen, heard, said, done, desired. And if we don't process those things before the Lord in prayer, there might be weeds springing up we're not aware of. So we need to be watchful in prayer. Why do we need to be watchful in prayer? I'm going to share some things that I've seen. Some of these might surprise you. Sadly, if they, they might not actually, which is even sadder considering the state of the church. But we need to be devoted in prayer and watchful in it. Why? Listen, there's a church in Illinois that during the Lent season said that the whole church should come together for fasting and prayer from whiteness. There's a church fasting from whiteness and praying against it. How is that of the Lord? They were not being watchful. I saw a church this week that was having a drag queen show at their church. We've all probably heard enough of this that we're tired of it. We have churches adopting things like critical race theory. We have more and more churches becoming LGBTQIA plus affirming, right? So they're just locking arms with the alphabet mafia here. There was, I just saw a preacher saying, God wants you to come out. So he took, John, he took the story of Lazarus when he said, Lazarus, come out, come forth and said, that is a call to the LGBT community to come out. Mm. See, this is what happens when we're not in regular communion with God in his word and in prayer, we begin to allow the world and our own sinful desires to shape our fellowship with God. And we create a false God in our own image. We have churches within stone's throws away that say you can't trust the Bible for all of life. Here's the thing. If we don't remain watchful in prayer, we end up there. Do not think for a moment that you or I are beyond ever falling into that. It is the grace of God in us availing ourselves to the everyday means of grace in prayer being one of them that protects us from falling into those categories. This is always where the non-watchful heart ends up. It really breaks my heart to think about that. I don't know of any studies out there, but it'd be interesting to see. No, they talk all the time. 75% of teens, once they go to college, abandon the faith. I'm just, I, I don't know. I wonder how much of those statistics would hold if we were to go back in time to when teenagers, children were part of the weekly prayer, when churches were regularly praying and whole families were present at prayer meetings. 
Maybe they're leaving because we're not asking God to intercede. We're not being watchful for them and asking God to work. We think we'll just, we'll just, we'll do two devotions a day. Here's the thing. And I'm learning this. Doctrine is vitally important. But it's pointless without prayer. It's pointless. Paul didn't say devote yourself to Bible study. He said devote yourselves to prayer. I had one pastor, I remember uh, Pastor Paul Washer once said in a sermon of his, what was the one thing the disciples asked Jesus to teach him? Teach us to pray. I would have been like, teach me to preach. And preach like Jesus. It's not what they said. They said, teach us to pray. There must have been something electric and almost beyond, beyond the English, beyond language, to, to see Christ laboring, toiling in prayer. But it's hard. One of the things about prayer that makes it so difficult to be devoted and watchful in it is that you really can't flaunt it. See, if you, if you do Bible study and you read, if you read lots of theological books and you're studying your Bible all the time and this and that, there's avenues where you can kind of flaunt that around people in small group and Bible study and conversations. People can know how smart you are. But prayer is really something between you and God, between the people of God with him. I mean, there's no cool facts you're learning in prayer, right? You go to Bible study, did you know and that Isaiah has been presupposed that there's four authors, isn't that? People get, wow, really interesting conversation starts. You know, I prayed yesterday. Great. Nobody really, there's nothing about that you can flaunt and showcase there. And so if we're going to pray, it's really because you want God. Maybe that's the best way to think about it. To be devoted in prayer and to be watchful in prayer really reveals, do you want to God? Do you desire him? Because you can desire the Christian life without desiring God himself. You can desire the community. Theology can be really addictive to pursue and study. You You can really agree with the moral ethic of it all. But do you really want the Lord for who he is? So much so that you will regularly be committing time to just communing with him according to his will by the power of his Holy Spirit, with the revealing of your sin in the confession of it. It's it's funny because as I think before we started this church, the topic that I had been always, that I've always preached on the most, most is prayer which is really misleading to the people who hear me preach because they would think that that's something I'm so given to. But prayer is extremely hard for me, extremely difficult for me to pray with, with, with a devoted lifestyle, to get up early, to stay up late and read my Bible and journal and read. It's no problem. But to pray, to get alone and shut up with the Lord and be devoted in that and watchful in that, That's the hardest part of the Christian life for me. I'm a verbal processor. So just give me another warm body and I'll talk. Seriously. And I'll talk, right? That's it's, it's, I process, but, but I don't do it with the Lord like that. I don't. So even this week, one of the prayer requests I had is that God would give me a lonelier life. Because I recognize I need a lonelier in life because that's the only way I'll be devoted to communing with God in prayer. Because as long as I have a warm body around, I will go to that person before I go to the Lord. I don't know where you're at with that as far as devotion to prayer goes and watchfulness in prayer. But you you have to do whatever it takes for that to happen. We do it by the power of the Holy Spirit, but we have to be honest with ourselves. Prayer is the most important thing we neglect, I think, in our Christian faith. We're so busy plotting, planning, and scheming on how to change the course of the culture and how to 
save America and all these things. It is so arrogant how we are. Because we have the power to do nothing. I don't know if you've realized that. You have to be devoted to prayer because you're pathetic. You're a pathetic individual. I'm a pathetic individual. How arrogant of us to think that because we study, we can somehow change and affect spiritual realities on our own. We can't. God has to be the one to do it. Our devotion to prayer really reveals how, how, how arrogantly prideful we are thinking we can do things and how little we value the omnipotent hand of God. Paul goes on here and says, verse two, be devote, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, with gratitude, with appreciation. It's a major, that's been a major theme throughout all of Colossians. We saw it in chapter one, verse three. We give thanks to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Chapter 1, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Chapter 2, verse 7, having been firmly rooted and being built up in him, having been established in your faith as you were instructed and abounding with thanksgiving. Chapter 3, verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through, through him. Now chapter 4, praying with thanksgiving. Do you realize no matter how horrible the circumstances are in your life, you always have reason to give thanks to God. There is not a single circumstance that God sovereignly decrees into your life that you do not have reason to thank him for. If your life is just pure hell on earth from this day moving forward, you're still forgiven. You're still justified. You're still adopted. You're still filled with the Holy Spirit. You're still being sanctified and conformed to the image of Christ. And you still have the promise that one day he will glorify you, bring you into his kingdom to fully behold his glory free from sin and its influences. So there isn't a situation that you can't give God thanks for. And if we really believe that God works all things for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose, then the Christian really has to say no bad days. There's no bad days. Every day is a, a day to worship and give thanks. But when Thanksgiving is, Thanksgiving is lacking when God's goodness has been forgotten. We don't give, we lack Thanksgiving to God when we forget his goodness toward us. That's a hard thing to really think about. But it's true. At the heart of it, if you can't say, Lord, I thank you for whatever this affliction is, it's because you have lost sight of the goodness of God. Because he's perfectly wise. He's good. He's loving. He sent his son who took the full wrath of sin, died and rose from the dead. On your behalf, he's, he says he's working all things for Christ's conforming purposes. So whatever's happening, if you can't give thanksgiving, you're doubting his goodness toward you. And to doubt God's goodness toward you is to doubt his word. And really to doubt God's goodness is to call God a liar. To not give thanksgiving is to, is, to, is to have a heart that lacks gratitude. To lack thanksgiving is to somehow think God owes you more than he's given you. God owes us nothing. I'm very thankful in God's kindness that he's put people in my life that have been very committed to prayer. Both personally in my life, but also influences men of God who, who preach and have had a strong focus on prayer. I remember hearing a prayer, uh, a sermon, um, 
And the gentleman talked about how he was struggling with some things. And he literally went for a walk out in the woods to pray to God and was talking to God. It was, was literally picking up physical stones and throwing them into the sky. God, why won't you hear me? Why aren't you listening? Why aren't you speaking back? And he toiled and toiled and toiled in prayer and God broke him. And he realized, I'm so focused on me. I'm not focused on God. But the men like that who would just labor in prayer, who, who's figuratively speaking, who needs to be rubbed raw because they were on there in the prayer closet. I think it would do us well to go back to some of those older saints and missionaries and see how dependent they were upon God. Jesus's half-brother James was called camel knees because his knees were so bruised, battered, and, and swollen from prayer. That was his nickname, camel knees. You know, within the Reformed tradition, which um, our church aligns itself, what we get right in doctrine, sometimes we miss in prayer. But we need to be a praying people. The greatest revivals have come out of prayer. The greatest works of God have always been birthed in prayer. So we might be praying. We need to be praying with thanksgiving, with gratitude to the Lord. I'm not sure how many of you know this, but our very church, the outpost, was birthed out of prayer. About a year ago, a little more than a year ago, um, I received the word that I was being called to plant a church through the Evangelical Free Church. And I was <coughs> overjoyed and terrified. Um, and if any of you really know me, you would know that within 30 seconds of hearing that I had been called to plant a church, I had a million ideas and things I wanted to do and probably a notebook full of how we're going to do it. I was ready to go. Type A personality. Let's rock. And God in his kindness struck all that down and through his word told me, you need to pray. Do nothing but pray and ask others to come and pray with you. He showed me in his word that immediately following the great commission, right? Matthew 28, go therefore make disciples, right? What did the disciples do? They got together for a vision casting meeting, right? <laughs> nope. <laughs> They said, well, we need, to, we need to pull Jerusalem and outlying communities to understand, you know, where people are at. No. They said, well, we need some strategic opportunities to partner with the community because people don't care what we know until they know how much we care. Right. So let's, let's start doing that. We'll set up a little tent. You know, we'll hand out water bottles and, and, and matzo crackers. No, they didn't do that either. They went into an upper room and they prayed until the Holy Spirit fell upon them. They prayed with great fervency and devotion. They prayed and they prayed. They were watchful in it. They were thankful in it. And so I realized I had no other option but to call our church if there was going to be a church to be devoted to prayer with watchfulness and Thanksgiving. Some of you were there for those summer prayer meetings. You know, what's funny is that in my naiveness, I thought this was going to be well-received by all. And yet many ministry leaders and, and surrounding pastors said, your church isn't going to, nothing, the church isn't going to get off the ground because you're not being proactive enough. You need to be getting out there and doing things. And I struggled with that. And thankfully, I had mature saints that said, God is calling us to be devoted to prayer. And so we held our ground and we prayed and prayed. And God opened a door for us, which is what we'll see next week that God opens doors for ministry through praying. He opened a door. And people came and prayed. 
and we had a church. And we continued to pray every week. We continued to pray multiple times during the week. Because God never called us to have a huge rocking church. He called us to be a faithful, devoted to prayer church. Paul said, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thanksgiving. You know what's interesting? Did Paul ever outline how big the church in Colossae was? Ephesus, Philippi. We never got roll numbers, right? I wonder if they hit quorum when they got together. I don't know. Like, we don't know. What we do know is they were called to be devoted to prayer, devoted to the word, devoted to suffering for Christ. And prayer is a gift of the gospel. Do you realize that the death, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of didn't simply bring forgiveness. It also brought the ability to commune with God in prayer. Prayer is a blood-bought gift. If you were to hear, listen to Jesus's words in John 15. John 15, 16 says, you didn't choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, that your fruit would abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. Why can they ask the Father in Christ's name? Because Christ is the crucified and risen Messiah. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace in the help of the time of need. Why can we? Because the veil was torn from the top down when he died. Or Hebrews chapter 10, just a couple chapters later, verses 19 and 20. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. The death and resurrection of Christ purchased our ability to pray to God freely whenever. Now, cultivating a prayer life can be hard, church, I know. But we have to persevere. So let me give an encouragement, and then I'll give a warning when it comes to prayer. The encouragement first is prayerfulness comes first and foremost from a desire to be with God. If you want to cultivate a red hot prayer life, then it has to flow from wanting God himself. Listen to Psalm 130 verses five and six. I hope for Yahweh, my soul does hope, and for his word do I wait. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. The watchman for the morning. You're waiting, you're wanting, you're desiring. And if that's what you want, then you will break out into prayer. Second encouragement is you should cultivate this devotion, watchfulness, and thanksgiving of prayer because God promises that he can be trusted and that he will meet our needs. You're not, you're not throwing a wish list up there. Listen to John 15 verses 5 through 8. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you... Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father's glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. He promises that he can be trusted to provide what you need if you approach him in the name of Christ. So nothing should hold us back from prayer. He stands ready and generous. But as a warning, I'll say this. Lives that lack prayer never lack pride. So if your prayer life is lacking, you need to put more of your pride to death. Because you're not seeing yourself as you really are. The 
the person who's not praying, who's not praying, does not see themselves as weak and needy. But that is exactly our posture. We are weak and needy before God. And you can't be, and, and the second warning would be this. The Holy Spirit lives in you. The third member of the Trinity truly lives in you by your faith in Christ. And so ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you your need and to increase your fear of God. Because if you aren't fearing him and seeing yourself as needy, you won't pray. As I said earlier, no prayer means no power. So even if you have right doctrine in, in place, you're not, you don't necessarily have God's power in your life because you're not communing with God personally. Last warning is that prayer is dangerous. I don't know if you ever thought about how dangerous of an activity prayer is. It's dangerous because we never really recognize what it is we're asking for. And it's dangerous because God answers prayer. The fact that God answers prayer is dangerous. One of the most dangerous prayers you can lift up because he answers it is God make me more like Jesus. Do you ever think about how dangerous of a prayer that is? Make me more like Jesus. The suffering servant. Despised. Rejected. Man of sorrows. You'll suffer. You pray for your kids. Lord, do whatever it takes to draw my children to Christ. You've just prayed for an immense amount of suffering in the life of your children. It's good suffering, but it's a dangerous activity. Jacob wrestled with God and for the rest of his life had a bad hip. It's dangerous to wrestle with God. And that's what prayer is, a wrestling with God. And so take prayer serious. That's why we don't go flippantly into prayer. You can throw up a prayer flippantly, not realize what you're asking for. Then God answers it and you get mad at him. Why are you doing this to me? Well, you asked. Is that what you wanted? No, I wanted to be more like Jesus. Well, what Jesus are you talking about? The one you see in children's Bibles? With the flowing hair that's always smiling? Prayer is a dangerous activity, church. But just because something's dangerous doesn't mean it's bad. So as followers of Christ, let's be devoted to prayer. Watchful with thanksgiving, understanding the great privilege that it is. And let's remember who we're talking to. Remember, prayers and offering of our desires to God by the assistance of the Holy Spirit for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ, believing with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledging of his mercies. It's a definition we saw at the beginning, and it's a good one. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you in the powerful, matchless name of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> God, I thank you that we don't realize sometimes what we're doing when we pray. Because I can speak for myself, Lord. I think if I knew exactly what it was I was asking, I wouldn't ask it. And so, Lord, I thank you that in your sovereignty, you use my ignorance to sanctify me. Thank you in the life of all of us here, Lord. Father, we, none of us can say that we pray as we ought. All of us know we fall short of what it means to pray without ceasing, to bring everything to you in the name of your son by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we ask here and now that you, Holy Spirit, would increase our desire, that inner compulsion, to be a prayerful people. Help us be devoted in ways we never knew before to prayer. Help us to persist in it, to persevere in it, Help us to not view prayer as a casual thing, but as a constant thing, as a very lifeline. May prayer be like breathing for us. Help us be watchful in it, Lord, vigilant, alert, sober-minded, singularly focused, not wandering. And help our hearts spill over into thanksgiving in prayer, recognizing that we have received far more from you than we ever deserved. 
the very fact that as we pray, we call you father shows us right there. That's it's all the need we have to be thankful in prayer. Every time we call you father, we should be thanking you for you've adopted us. You've made sinners saints. You've made your enemies sons and daughters. Father, I pray for the outpost Bible church that we would never lose our focus on prayer, but ever increasing in it. Lord. May our church, Lord, always see themselves needy and see themselves dependent upon you. And so, Father, I pray those days we talked about dangerous prayers. And so, Lord, I lift up a dangerous prayer now on behalf of myself and everybody here. Father, do whatever it takes to make us more like Christ. And as you honor that prayer, give us the strength to endure the process. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.